0: hey everyone welcome to the podcast today we're looking at second john and what it means to walk in truth it's a sermon from september the 6th 2020 enjoy we're looking at second john and if if you were on first john before second john says the next one but what we'll do is second john the message of second john is is walk in the truth Um, And what we'll do is we'll look at four things. First, we'll look at the context, uh, which is just just simply, just some simple information, just quick, so we can get the context and understand what's happening. Then we'll look at the what. We'll basically look at what it is to walk in the truth. What does it really mean to walk in the truth? Then we'll look at why it's important that we walk in the truth. Because it is important that we walk in the truth. Oh, my mic just shut off. That's okay. Might be out of oh this one's out of batteries. Is that one still on? Okay, it's this one. Can you grab me double A's? Sorry, technical difficulties in our massive mega church here. Um, yeah. So we'll look at the what, which is verses one to six. Then we'll look at the why, which is verses seven to eleven. We won't really look at verses twelve to thirteen because that's just the end. Um, that's just, that's just John saying goodbye to everyone too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Thanks babe. okay. Um. Oh, how about, is that on yet? Did you turn that one off? No. Might be too far. Is it Orange. Check. There we go. Nice. Thanks, assistant. The technical guru. Um, yeah, then we'll, so we'll look at the why, and then what we'll do is look at how. How we are to walk in the truth, and for that, we'll look at Psalm 119. Um, so, in a sense, we're kind of going with Second John, which is the second shortest book in the Bible. Um, and then we'll go to Psalm 119, which is the longest, longest chapter in the Bible. Um, there, there's... There's lots that will be left unsaid, but I want to make sure we understand um, the importance of what it is to to walk in the tr- walk in the truth. Uh, let me let me just pray uh, before we begin. Uh, Lord, just thank you again for your word as we open it up and seek to hear from you. Lord, let 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 my mind be clear, let my mouth uh, speak according. Grant us all wisdom as we open up your word. Let us hear from you, from your word. Let us know the truth and walk in it. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, so first the the context. Uh, We've talked about pluralism before. And if you remember, pluralism is this idea that we can have multiple truths. And those contradicting truths are okay because there's no conflict. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example Uh, And a lot of it, a lot of the examples I think of are are massive issues, but um, I'll make one up that's silly. So if I say 2 plus 2 is 4, and that's what I believe, I believe that 2 plus 2 is 4, but somebody else comes along and says, well I believe 2 plus 2 is 5. What pluralism says is that I can hold to my truth, and this person can hold to their truth, and we can contradict each other, but as long as we're not intolerant of the other person, as long as I'm not telling this person, no, no. Two plus two isn't five. You're wrong. As long as I'm not doing that, then we can we can exist together. We can have no conflict. So as soon as I basically tell somebody else that they're wrong, that's intolerant, and it, it doesn't work in a pluralist, pluralistic society. Um, did my mic shut off again? Might need to do that one. Sorry, that one's one one or two triple I'll just talk about her. So when we look at us as Christians, we say, okay, well, I believe in Jesus, and Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No one can come to the Father except through Christ. That's, we'll look at that. That's John fourteen six. But we can hold that as long as we want. But as long as we don't tell other religions they're wrong or tell other people they're wrong, we're okay. We can do that. But as soon as we tell other people that they're wrong, we're in trouble. Because that's intolerant. And it doesn't work in a pluralistic society, which is what we live in. Pluralism runs rampant. And the reason I mention this is because it's important for us to walk in the truth. And the truth is Christ. And we'll get there. So the context, as you see, is the letter's occasional. And all the epistles, basically in the New Testament, all the epistles are all the letters are occasional, and that just means that they were written for a specific occasion. Second John was written for an occasion. Third John was written for a specific occasion. Something was happening, so the authors wrote a letter. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes in order to combat heresies, in order to combat sexual immorality that is happening in the Corinthian church. So it's occasional. And what the occasion is, is to warn the church against docetism and Gnosticism. And docetism is the heresy that Jesus was um, not human. So I don't want to get into too too much of a theological mess here. But Arianism denies that Jesus was God. Docetism denies that Jesus was uh, human. But what the Bible says is that Jesus was both God and human. If he wasn't God, he couldn't have died on the cross and fulfilled eternal punishment. If he wasn't human, he couldn't have died on the cross and been our propitiation and died in our place. So John is writing against both docetism and Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the idea that the material is evil and that spiritual or is that salvation comes from the spiritual. Uh, and, and there's that there's a secret knowledge. You can look them up after, but John's writing to combat docetism and Gnosticism. Uh, he's writing to the church, as we see in verse, uh, verse 1. I'll read it in a bit. As we see in verse 1, he's writing to the elder. The elder is writing to the elect lady. Uh, and the reason why most commentators would say it's writing to the church, not, not a woman, is because of verse 13, which, in which John says, The children of your elect sister greet you. So there's two options. One is he's writing to a, a woman and her children. And he's he's greeting that woman from her actual sister, or he's writing to a church, the elect uh, elect lady. The church is always called the bride of Christ. So he's writing to the church and the church's members as the lady and and the children, writing from another church, or he's writing to an actual lady and her actual children uh, and writing from her sister. And most commentators logically argue that he's writing to a church. I'll leave that with you. So that's that's kind of my understanding as well, is that he's writing to the church and the church's members. The purpose there is then to walk in the truth. Let me, uh, let me, let me read 2 John. It's only 13 verses. Um, so we'll read off we'll read 13. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and in love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, But the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. That's heavy. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So first, what is it to walk in the truth? In verse 4, John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. So what is it to walk in the truth? The first thing to notice is that some walk in the truth, not all. So if he's writing to a church, he's writing to the church and saying that "I'm, I'm happy that Some of your children are walking in the truth. But not all of them are walking in the truth. It's a clear warning for us now reading this to ask ourselves, are we walking in the truth? Not only as individuals, but as the church. Because there's a separation between those who walk in the truth and those who don't walk in the truth. If we kept reading in 1 John, we would see that in 1 John chapter 2 as he gets into um, the reality that some people have left. John has said they were of us, they were from us, but they were not of us. They left and they proved that they were not of us. So people have left the church, left the truth, not just leaving a church for another church, but have left the truth and have forsaken the truth. And John is saying that they were therefore not actually of us. They were with us, but they were not of us. So there's a separation between those who are in the truth and those who are not in the truth. We see that it is a command to walk in the truth. Not just a suggestion, but it's a command to walk in the truth. And that command is to love one another. That if you are not in the truth, you are not loving one another. Love is walking according to the commandments. So it's this idea that truth is, is in a sense overarching everything. We're commanded to walk in the truth. And loving one another is to walk in the truth. And being obedient, therefore, is to walk in the truth. So it's like, I was going to draw a picture, but it's like truth is up here, and then and uh, love and obedience are down here. And it's, if, you, if, if you're not walking in the truth, you're not going to love properly. If you're not walking in the truth, you're not going to be obeying properly. But love and obedience, loving one another in Christ, and being obedient to God, to his commandments, proves that we are walking in the truth. If we are disobedient, I'll get into this later. But if we are disobedient and we are not loving one another, it proves that we are not walking in the truth. Well, what does it mean to walk in the truth? What is the truth? More precisely, if you, if you, if you know, I'm sure you do, Jesus is the truth. That's where we come to John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You can even go back to John uh, chapter 1 in verse 17, where um, the, John, the, John the writer is saying that uh, whereas the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. So as the truth, Jesus brings the truth. So to walk in the truth means to walk in Christ. As we see in Colossians two sixteen, or, sorry 2.6, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. So walking in the truth means walk in Christ. We are commanded to walk in Christ. What that really looks like is... Sorry, I was a little slow on that. But what that looks like is to walk in the light. So to walk in Christ means to walk in the light and to walk by the Spirit. I'll go to John 3 quick. To walk in the truth means to walk in the light. Which in a sense makes, makes sense. Because if we're not walking in the truth, we're walking in darkness. And if we're walking in the truth, we're walking in light. Because we're walking in openness. We're walking in transparency. We're we're walking in reality. But Jesus says, this is John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So to live in the truth and walk in the truth means to walk in the light, not to walk in darkness. To walk as Adam and Eve were, naked and unashamed, exposed to the realities of life, exposed to the realities of who we are, apart from Christ, but also in Christ. Second, to walk in the truth means to walk by the Spirit. And again, there's so much more that, that goes with us, goes with this. Um, I, mean, I don't want to overwhelm us with, with the amount of stuff, but um, this is Galatians 5. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things that you want to do. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident, or the works of, let's say, darkness. The works of living in the dark instead of living in the light. The works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions... Envy, murders, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But well, we've looked at this before. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So living in the darkness, and this is what happens. This is what it looks like to walk in falsehood, to walk in darkness. But the fruit of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to walk in truth, to walk in light, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When you're walking in the light, you don't need the law. Earlier Paul says that the reason the law is here is to tell you that you're a transgressor. The reason the law exists is to show you that you have broken it. And then he says if you are walking in the light, if you are walking in the truth... You don't need the law because you're doing everything you need to do, and the fruit is evident. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, who are walking in the truth, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So to walk in the truth means to walk in the light, and to walk by the Spirit. Again, it's a, it's a command. And if we're being disobedient, if we're exhibiting the works of the flesh, and we're disobedient, it proves that we're not in the truth. For not loving one another, it proves that we're not in the truth. It's a command that includes obedience to God, to His commands, and love for one another. Uh, let me. I'll, I'll go to John fourteen, uh, just briefly. John fourteen twenty one. This is verse 15. I'll do 15 and 21. This is Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it's this reality that it's not just saying, well, I love God, so I'm going to do this. It's that if we love him, we will keep them. If we love him, we will walk in the light. If we love him, we will walk in the truth. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself. So it's not, do these things and get to heaven. It's, if you love God, your fruit will be evident. Faith without works is dead. Your works don't give you faith, and your works don't give you heaven. But the fruit that is in your heart will come out and prove that you love God. So why is it important, then, to walk in the truth? Why is walking in the truth so important? Why is walking in Christ so important As we see from verses 7 to 11, uh, John says, Watch yourself. He says, watch yourself because there are many deceivers that have come into the world. Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So again, disobedience, not walking in the truth, proves that we don't have Christ. There's a whole bunch more floating around in it, in my head, but let's talk about the importance of truth. In Hosea four six, God says that His people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That's knowledge of God, not not I'm going to pick on Glenn again. Not knowledge how to skin or trap, um, you know. Not knowledge how to how to build something, how to build a hotel and fix cars. Not knowledge how to you know be a gas fitter. So it's, it's knowledge of God. God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge of him. A lack of knowledge of the truth. Not, you know, how to sing songs properly in church or what to do when you're in church. All of these things that, that you know, we think about. But it's a lack of the truth about who God is. If Vicky was here, I would have picked on her too. I would have talked about bacon cookies or something. And then, for me, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a mess. So I don't really know how to do anything. But the reality is it's God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Therefore, we have to not only know the truth, but as God's people we have to protect and guard the truth. Because as John says here, there are people who are going to come against it. Let me turn to 1 Timothy. Where Paul warns, this is 1 Timothy chapter chapter 3. Yeah, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I hope to come to you soon. He's talking to Timothy, who he's set up to be a pastor in Ephesus and kind of oversee the church over there. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so, to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So God's house is God's church, which is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So God's church, us as the body of Christ, are a pillar of and a buttress of the truth. Not of some religious idea or philosophy. But of the truth. Capital T. Truth. We are a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And the reason he says this is a little a little further down. In chapter 4 he says. The spirit expressly says that in later times. Some will depart from the faith. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So Paul is telling Timothy, pay attention to what you're doing, guard the truth. Make sure the church is a household, the church, the household of God, make sure the church is a pillar in the buttress of the truth, because it is, because the times are coming when people will rail against the truth and turn away and believe lies. Lies. Titus 1:9. Again, it's it's Paul uh, writing to Titus, who again, another guy he's set up, and he set up in Crete. So that Titus can get all the churches in Crete set up. Uh, that's in verse 5 if you want to look. But I'm reading from verse 9. He's talking about he's talking about here what the what the qualifications are for elders. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, but also to rebuke those who contradict that sound doctrine. The truth is important. Sound doctrine, right thinking. The leaders of the church are to protect against those who want to go against uh, poor doctrine, because there are many who are insubordinate. There are many who are empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. He's talking about the Jews who are trying to um, have all of these laws come in for the for the Christians. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. There's this reality that the truth is so important that John, that Paul, the other disciples, even Jesus is warning his followers to guard the truth. Not only just to walk in the truth, but make sure that it's guarded because there are people who are going to not walk in the truth. Because there are people who are going to go against the truth and try to pull you away from that truth. Paul continues, This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, those who are going against sound doctrine. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. This is the reality, that there are those who turn away from the truth. There are those who deny the truth. And Paul is saying, rebuke them. Not only just stay away from, not, not stay away from them, not pretend and, and ignore them, not just sit in a little bubble, but actually rebuke them. This is because salvation is at stake. And going back going back to First Timothy and First Timothy chapter two, it's, it's an often quoted verse, but What Timothy says is that God desires all people to come to salvation. But what he says is that he desires that all people come to know the truth. Not far, so I'll just go there quick. so I, I, I quote it properly. God the Savior desires all people to be saved... And to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's not just salvation. You just come to Jesus and you love Jesus and then you get this ticket and you get to go to heaven. Salvation is knowing the truth. And as we saw with Hosea, God's people are destroyed because they don't know the truth. They don't know the Lord. John 17.3 says that this is eternal life that they know you. And the one that you have sent. Eternal life isn't, isn't something that we get. It's in something that we hold. Eternal life <coughs> is knowledge of God. In truth. Knowing him. That's what Jesus says. That is eternal life. Knowing God. Knowing the truth. It's important because as Jesus says to uh, the woman at the well. He says. Um, I got to think about it now. He says there's, there's coming a time. Because she asked him a question just to give you context, she asked him a question about where are we going to worship? I've heard that you know, there's, when Messiah comes, things will change. And Jesus says, yes, when the Messiah comes, things will things will definitely change. And He says, those who worship the Father must worship Him in the Spirit and in truth. What that means is, if we're not, if we don't know the truth, then we're not worshiping God right. We can worship God as a golden calf, and we're not worshiping Him rightly because we're not worshiping Him in the truth. It's all about knowing the truth and knowing who God is. I don't want to get on. My mind's just going crazy, and I don't want to get on too many tangents. So I want to look at how do we walk in the truth. That's what it really comes down to. If we just ended now, we'd be in we'd be in trouble. How do we walk in the truth? The easiest answer is, how do we know the truth? How do we know Christ? How do we know who God is? How do we know what he has done? How do we know his promises? How do we know the truth in order to walk in it? There's only one answer, and that's the word of God. This is it, God's revealed word. If we have truth about God from some external source, it's unreliable. Because then we can just believe what we want and have our own opinions. If we have truth about God from from an external source other than His revealed Word, then we're sunk. Because all we have is mere opinion. If this is God's Word, then this is the only place that we can go for truth about who He is and what He has done and who we are in light of that. I've got all these psalms up, and I was going to read through them all. I don't want to take up too much, um, too much more time. But as you go through the psalms, Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. It's all about God's commands. It's all about God's precepts and His rules. And how those rules bring help, comfort, safety, peace, hope, security, joy. The psalmist, uh, there's 22 stanzas in Psalm 119, each correlating to a Hebrew letter, a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. But the whole psalm is about the Word of God, His commands, His promises, His acts, which are known through the Word. And the psalmist is saying how it, that's the only thing that brings him comfort. That in the midst of affliction, in the midst of persecution, there's only one thing that brings him anything, and that's the Word of God. It is only and ever and always the word of God that we have to come back to. I won't read all these, but I'll read Psalm, um, Psalm 119. Again, I'll just read verses uh, 105 to 112. That's just one of, the, one of the stanzas. And you'll, you'll know the first verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous Rules. The only way to know God's rules is in his word. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. Again, that's God's word. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. It's all just different words for what God has said. Rules, precepts, laws, commandments, word, it's all the same. Your testimonies, another word, are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We cannot walk in the truth if something else is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It has to be the word of God. It can only be the word of God. Or we're not walking in the truth because we don't know the truth. That's what I would ask ask you to ask yourself. That's what I have to ask myself every day. What is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path? Is it the Lord's word or is it my own word? Is it the Lord's word or my own experiences? Let's finish with Amos uh, chapter 8. Amos is just a couple of books after Hosea. So Daniel is the last of the major prophets. Um, and you get Hosea, Hosea, Joel, and then Amos. And, and Amos is a hard book to read. A lot of judgment in, in Amos coming upon Israel for their disobedience and their their forgetfulness of God and and their walking in uh, fallacy and falsehood rather than walking in the truth. So Amos 8, just two verses. And this is a warning to us, not to us as a church, but to look at the world and see how this has come to pass. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the lord they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the lord but they shall not find it in our day the word of the lord has been ignored by so many people by so many churches not even not even just the unbelievers in the world but by so many churches we We don't look at this and see what this says. We've got our own opinions, we've got our own ideas, and we want to do what we want to do. We don't cry out like Jeremiah, like the psalmist. Lord, where are your people? We don't mourn over people disobeying the word of God. We don't mourn over people who who rail against him. There is a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. So I, I challenge you to make sure that the word of God takes precedence and takes priority. That it is the lamp to your feet and the light to your path. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word, for who you are, for revealing yourself to us in your word, Lord. Help us to hold to it, Lord, as we are convicted about so much. Help us to see the eternal word, Christ Himself, who has died on the cross for us. Lord, that He came to be our propitiation, that He came to stand in our place, to bear our sins. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Embers in the Dark. Hope it was edifying and that, that it was able to help you grow in the knowledge of the truth. Have a good week.